Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on what was once Rundle Road in Maida Hill, W9. Three streets northeast of the home of Gladys Hanrahan. One street northwest of the registry office where the Blackout Ripper got married. And a short walk from the lonely demise of Lena Cunningham. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Maida Hill is a hodgepodge of mismatched buildings reflecting the area's ever-changing fortunes. So among the council flats, stone churches and three-story Victorian terraces, you are likely to see a rude boy popping wheelies on a stolen e-scooter, cussing me as wicked, you get me as an opera board tuts at that disrespectful rapscallion as the sleeves of his silk housecoat shuffles rhythmically to a set of nudie etchings. Between Oakington, Maryland and Thorngate Roads now stands Paddington Academy. But back in the 1930s, through the middle of this secondary school once stood Rundle Road. Two lines of tumble-down houses, subdivided into cramped lodgings for working-class families living on a pitiful little wage. In a small basement room at Three Vondel Road, once lived 26-year-old chambermaid Minnie Barry, her fiancé Frederick Sorensen, and their three-year-old son, Freddie Jr. For Minnie, money was short. But being so focused on providing for her family, she got them through the toughest of times, but only just. Minnie would fight a brave fight to keep her family from the gutter. And although Wednesday the 28th of June 1933 would start like any other day, everybody has a breaking point, and hers would happen here. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 179, Mini. We all have a temper. For some, it sits way down deep, barely making a ripple. Whereas for others, it sits simmering on the surface, forever bubbling, like a boiling pot of scalding soup on a hot stove. With the Great Depression consigned to the past, and Adolf Hitler little more than a mild nuisance on the horizon, seen as a time of mechanical evolution, 1933 saw the land speed record break 100 miles an hour at Brooklands, 
and one of the country's first power stations was connected up to the national grid. Britain was entering a modern age, but it was only available for those who could afford it. For many working classes stuck in a Victorian era, many were only ever one payday away from starvation. Life was a slog. With a six-day working week, lunch breaks non-existent for another 40 years, and sick pay not mandatory for another half century. If you didn't work, you didn't earn, and you didn't eat. Wednesday the 28th of June 1933 was an ordinary day for 26-year-old Minnie Barry. The sun was bright, the wind was light, and outside, three hours past sunrise, the city was awake and grinding into action. Three Rundle Road was a standard three-story Victorian terrace owned by local solicitor Herbert Blake. For Minnie, it was a good place to raise her child. It was quiet, safe and clean. But it wasn't much. As a small single room, it was barely big enough for a double bed, a small table for family meals and a solitary armchair for one person to rest in. With no electricity or running water, the gas lights gave a dull yellow glow. In front of the fire lay an endless line of damp clothes. And in the washstand, the same bowl was used to flannel their faces as to clean the dirty crockery. With a tiny front window, half obscured by the pavement, this dark little box had been their home for a little over a year. But it was all they could afford on the meagre wages they both brought in. At 7am, as per usual, whilst Frederick silently washed his face, and their three-year-old son, Freddie Jr., sweetly slept in their bed after a fitful night, Minnie prepared her family a simple breakfast of bread and butter. The mood was tense, and they had argued many times before. Only this time, Minnie would be pushed too far. She was born Minnie Perkins in 1907. Raised in a small, two-story terrace at 24 Percy Street in Jarrow, an industrial town five miles east of Newcastle in the northeast of England. Life was a constant struggle for her father, Samuel LaLabra, her mother, Edith the housewife, and their six children, all under ten. Educated to the age of 14, like her sisters, Minnie entered domestic service, becoming a chambermaid at several guest houses in neighbouring towns. She was a young girl living a hard life. But she fought through it all by being calm, honest and patient. In 1925, aged 18, Minnie gave birth to a baby called Edith. A sweet little girl who she adored, but she knew that she could never keep. It was a bond which should never have been broken. But being unmarried, and with the unnamed father having fled, the cruel morals of a judgmental society had given her no choice. As a single mother, whose sin was cruelly deemed to be her doing, not his, she would struggle to get even the basics to survive. No work, no money, no support, and no lodging. 
as many families did. Her child was adopted by her grandmother in the hope of giving them both a better chance at life. Moving out of Jarrow in search of better work, Minnie saw her daughter as often as she could and never once forgot to send a letter home to say that she loved her, to post a little gift to make her smile, or from her minuscule wage, to support her upbringing as best she could and what little she made. Keen to find a husband, as a 1920s woman did not exist unless she was a wife. On the 24th of February 1927, near the seaside town of Blackpool, 20-year-old Minnie married 22-year-old William Barry. Like a bad apple, William was rotten to the core. A lazy man who did as little as little can do. A useless drunk who pissed every penny up the nearest wall. And a wretched mess who was handy with his fists. Beaten black and blue, Minnie tried her best to cling on to the hope of building a better life for herself. But it was not to be. With a criminal record for indecent assault, and later being convicted of threats and blackmail, just six months into their unhappy marriage, Minnie fled their home, the town, and she would never return. At the beginning of January 1928, Minnie Barry moved to London. She got a job as a chambermaid at the Rutland Hotel at 63 Lancaster Gate in Bayswater. She started to rebuild her shattered life. And it was here, having fallen for a basement porter called Frederick, that she would finally find love. A little after 9am on Wednesday the 28th of June 1933, PC Quinnell of the Harrow Road Police Station descended the stone steps at Three Wonder Road and entered the small basement room of Minnie Barry, Frederick Sorensen and their three-year-old son, Freddie Jr. It was an ordinary lodging of an unremarkable family. The room was as they had left it a little over an hour before. The bed was unmade, as if a smaller figure had been sleeping peacefully. As to the side lay a few little toys where a young boy had recently enjoyed, possibly his last ever playtime with both parents. Around a wooden table were three wooden chairs where a family once sat for breakfast. Three cold cups of tea, a cutting board, a slicing knife, a still warm loaf of bread, and a ceramic dish containing a fresh block of butter, with one corner cut away. Except for a yellow greasy smear and several white crumbs on the blades, the knives were clean. At the washstand, beside a cutthroat razor, a bar of soap, and a tub of laundry powder, the sink was empty, but the wooden floorboards bore the telltale signs of wetting. As a drizzle and a constant drip led to the gas fire, as five still slightly damp black silk stockings hung freely on the fire guard. For P.C. Quinnell and Divisional Detective Inspector Worth, who would head up the investigation, there were no signs of a break-in, a struggle or an assault. Everything was as to be expected. Except in the armchair, 
และโคปส์ at 9:10 a.m. Dr. Maybury arrived and declared life as extinct. Sat upright, with legs straight and bare feet, barely inches from the fire. It was as if the flames were still keeping its toes all toasty warm, and yet everything else had begun to cool, being already dead. Had it not been for a coloured cloth covering its face, the detectives may have mistaken the body for someone who was merely sleeping. And yet, when unveiled, its head would tell a very different story. Of how an ordinary family breakfast had led to a brutal murder. Frederick Sorensen was one of three children raised by Frederick, a Danish national, and Rachel, a native of Jarrow, where Minnie had grown up. Born in 1909 in South Shields, his father was a merchant seaman, and like Minnie and millions of other working-class women, his sisters went into domestic service. As a boy, Frederick was described as quiet, passive, and often a little distant. He'd begun life fit and well, with no illnesses nor diseases. But at the age of seven, he had suffered an unexplained hemorrhage to the sinuses, which left him with a distant gaze, memory loss, and partial deafness in both ears. At times, being unable to hear what was said to him, this made his temper quick, and his mood sullen. Beginning life as a rivet catcher in the South Shields docks. Age 19, when work was slack, he uprooted to London, seeking a better wage, and found himself a job as a basement porter at the Rutland Hotel. It was here that Minnie met Frederick, and they fell in love. As an exemplary employee, Minnie was swiftly promoted to staff maid, a senior position on a higher wage, which afforded a simple but better standard of living for herself and for her daughter back home. Life was going in the right direction: a good job, a decent wage, and a potential husband to be. Only an unexpected change in their circumstances would force them to rethink their situation. In February 1930, their son Frederick was born in Balham Hospital. He was good, quiet, and healthy. With both parents working, earning, and doting upon him, he would have had a good life. But with William Barry having recently been released from prison, and still refusing to grant Minnie a divorce, her marriage to Frederick would remain in limbo, limiting their rights, and branding their son as a bastard. In May 1932, this small family moved into the front basement room at Three Randall Road. A dark, airless box, barely big enough for a singleton, but Minnie made it a home as best she could. Together, they could afford the rent of nine shillings a week, and as they always paid on time, their life had some stability. For Minnie, she had always held on to her jobs, and she was calm. Honest and patient, 
but burdened by deafness. Although he was light, Frederick's temper often got him into trouble. Having been dismissed from the Rutland Hotel, Frederick had moved from job to job. A few months at the Linus Court on Cromwell Road, three weeks at the Hotel Elizabeth, five weeks at the Park Royal in Paddington, and eight months at the Hyde Park Hotel on Queensborough Terrace in Bayswater. But on the 16th of July, 1932, in a trivial spat over a word that his partially deaf ears had probably misheard, in what he would often describe as a spasm, he unleashed a volley of fists at the chef. With a patchy employment record, regular work was hard to come by. Across the following year, he did odd stints as a labourer, a painter and a shop assistant. But from the August of 1932 onwards, Frederick was forced to sign on at the Labour Exchange and relied heavily on benefits and handouts. Even with two wages, money was tight. Rent was nine shillings a week. Food was 12 shillings. Seven shillings a week was sent to raise her daughter. And earning just 23 shillings a week. Even with public assistance, Minnie would struggle to buy her family the basics, like bread, milk, tea, and butter. By the end of May 1933, four weeks before the murder, she didn't have enough money to pay the rent. Since the Christmas last, Minnie had taken on extra work as a kitchen assistant at Lyons & Co. and as an assistant at several shops in Kilburn. It was a little extra cash to help them get through life. But all these extra hours would put an immense pressure on her strength, her energy and her patience. Working long hours, she paid for a babysitter whilst Frederick was supposedly out seeking a job. But feeling exhausted, as her cool demeanour slipped away, her temper began to bubble. To Minnie, Frederick had given up. Depressed and living off dole money, he always made excuses as to why he couldn't work. The pay's crap. It's miles away. It's not what I want to do. Always thinking of his needs and never once putting himself forward as the breadwinner of this little family. And yet her stresses were only just beginning, as by the start of June, Minnie was two months pregnant. With life getting harder and money no longer stretching as far, as an industrious woman, she did her best to buy the food, to pay the bills and to keep the house clean. But struggling... She no longer had the seven shillings to send to her daughter. And already three weeks late, the nine shillings to pay this week's rent. In their cupboard, the bread was down to the crusts. The tea leaves were used so often that the brew was pale and tasteless. And the pitiful knob of butter in the ceramic dish was barely enough for two. Minnie had held this family together, whereas Frederick had given up. He fritted his hours away. He loafed about. He rarely helped. And as his temper spiked, just like William before him, he beat her black and blue. A few days before, Minnie 
had found his diary. Had he merely scrawled a few bad words about her? Or had maybe named a woman that he was seeing on the site? She wouldn't have been surprised. But inside, she saw something which made her seethe. A stack of betting slips for horses, dogs and football matches. Having squandered the last vestiges of the cash they didn't have and couldn't afford. On the surface, Minnie tried to remain calm. But on the inside, she was already fuming. The morning of Wednesday the 28th of June 1933 began like any other. Having had a fitful night, three-year-old Freddy hadn't slept a wink. And as he had tossed and turned, neither had his parents. Leaving him to snooze in their small shared bed, Minnie and Frederick began their day. For Minnie, it would be another endless slog of utter exhaustion. With a house to clean, shopping to do, three jobs to hold down, and a pot of money she would somehow have to magic out of thin air. As for Frederick, he washed his face and made his excuses, but she knew he wouldn't look for work. Upon the table lay three pale cups of tea, three thin crusts of bread, and under the lid of the ceramic dish lay a pitiful blob of butter, which if spread painfully thin, might cover two slices, but not three. Arguing quietly so as not to wake their son, Frederick blamed Minnie for not buying enough butter. Minnie blamed Frederick as it was his gambling which had left them broke. And in a fit of petulance, Frederick snatched a few pennies from her purse and stormed out into the bustle of Rundle Road. It may seem like nothing, but this was the spark which would ignite the fury. With him gone, Minnie washed her black silk stockings in the sink and placed all six on the fire guard. Just shy of 8am, Frederick returned with a fresh loaf, a block of butter, and sitting in absolute silence, unable to look at one another, they ate their bread and supped their tea as their young boy slept. Sometimes, a long silence can pacify a fight as the warring sides slowly see sense. But still furious, as he had dared to blame her for the situation they were in, it was then the Minnie snapped. You're lazy. And that was it. As a calm and patient woman, her temper rarely surfaced beyond a cruel word she would quickly regret, followed by a tear, a silence, and an apology. Minnie was not a bubbling pot of rage or spite. She was just a good woman with a feckless boyfriend who knew that she deserved better. Enraged at a trivial spat, over a word his partially deaf ears had probably misheard. Once again, in what he would describe as a spasm, I saw the hammer lying on the mantel shelf. 
I got hold of it and swung it wildly at her. The steel head of the hard hammer, fracturing her skull above the right ear. She shouted, Freddy, and clawed at my face. I put my fingers round her throat and kept pressing. I saw a black silk stocking on the fire guard. I grabbed it. I slipped it around her neck and I pulled hard. I did not realize there was any blood until I saw it on the floor. And then I realized she was dead. Still sleeping, realizing his three-year-old son could wake at any moment and see his mother dead. I picked her up, I put her in the chair, and I covered her face with a cloth because I didn't want him to see her. As the boy awoke, Frederick went about their morning as regular as any other. He washed the boy's face, he got him dressed. He gave him a breakfast of a thick slice of bread, slathered with a hearty knob of butter. As beside him, his mother lay silent and still, propped up in an armchair. His father would say, Mummy's asleep. She's very tired. Let's let her nap. At 8.50 a.m., Frederick left Three Rundle Road never to return, and clutching his son's hand for one last time, he entered Harrow Road Police Station and told the officer, I think I've done my wife in. Arrested at 11am, Frederick Sorensen would make a full confession to the murder of Minnie Barry. Tried at the Old Bailey on the 22nd of September 1933, He was found guilty and sentenced to death. Frederick Sorensen later had his sentence reduced to life in prison, which he served at Pentonville. We all have a temper. For some, it sits way down deep, barely making a ripple. Whereas for others, it sits simmering on the surface, forever bubbling like a boiling pot of scalding soup on a hot stove. As their tempers frayed, Minnie lost her life, Frederick killed his lover, and a little family was destroyed forever. Their fight had a multitude of facets, and yet as their rage built, all it took was a single spark to end in death, being over something as simple as a knob of butter. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Missing people, murders, serial killers, frauds, heists, and mysterious events. The most infamous true crime stories from around the world, told in 10 minutes. Find 10 Minute True Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast player. open some windows oh oh i wasn't going to record it this today but i decided sod it get it done get it done always have that kind of moment where i think should i record it afternoon while i'm still thinking about stuff or should i do it early in the morning and i still haven't quite worked out which is best to do i'm gonna open a window there you go i'll take that off the problem is i'm right next to um i'm right next to a weir which is a, a kind of an inlet or sometimes an outlet on kind of uh, a river where there's a bit of an overspill. And there's like a little mini waterfall, which is all very nice and pleasant, but it's uh, it can be a bit noisy. I'm going to open some windows. Oh, I need fresh air. So uh, hopefully that wasn't too intrusive. Oh, there you go. I'm going to open all the windows and doors. And then all of a sudden you'll go, oh, you probably won't hear it. You probably won't hear it at all. Oh, oh. Oh, there we go. Oh, fresh air. Well, I say fresh air. It's a bit smelly out today. Bit smelly. Oh, shall I make a cup of tea? I don't know whether I want one. I've had about five. Well, I say five. I've had about 20 today. But there we go. Uh, I'll make one. I'll make one, yeah. Oh, no, shall I do late afternoon coffee? No, it's four in the afternoon. Let's just have a tea. Let's go make a tea. Right. Oh, all over the shop. Right, let's pop that in. Let it do its thing. The uh, got some ducks coming up to the window. They want their they want their uh, late afternoon snack as they always do. Lazy bastards. Right, that goes there. Oh, Ooh, let's do a let's do a herbal tea. God, my life is exciting. My life is exciting. I um, forgot to say welcome to welcome to um, Extra Mile, everyone. Hello, how are you? You all good, well, and healthy and happy. Oh, thank God that heat wave has gone. That was a pain in the ass, wasn't it? Pain in what? More of a pain in the ass for people whose houses were destroyed. That was a mega pain in the ass. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, what what's been going on? Oh, let's do me patron thank yous. Right. Uh, uh, this week, uh, a thank you to new patron supporters who are uh, Xanth Duncan, William Limaker. See, I attempted that one, William. I hope I got that right. I thought it was a hard a ch was a hard ch. Uh, and Frank Glenwinkle. I hope it was. I, I tried really hard with these. So I think I got that right. Uh, Xanth Duncan, William Limaker, Frank Glenwinkle. I think I got those right. I hope I got those right. I always try and double check and try it. But let's see. Let's see. Um, while the coffee's brewing, what's going on? We did the dark poutine meetup last week. So thanks to everyone who attended. That was really nice. 
If you didn't attend, you you missed something nice. It was really nice. It was intimate. It was intimate. Not, not a huge amount of people attended, so it was nice, actually. It was just around a little table. Uh, so it was myself and Mike from Dark Poutine uh, and, and uh, lots of lovely people. Police Constable Arsenal Guinness made an appearance uh, for most of the night. So, uh, yeah, you missed out. You missed out if you were going to turn up and you decided not to turn up for whatever reason. You missed out. You missed out. It was nice. It was intimate. It was not one of those events where you're kind of like, oh, there's someone. I hope I get a chance to speak to them. It was like, sit down at the table and we all had a nice chat. It was lovely. So, uh, yeah. And now people will be going, oh, when are you going to do a new one? Well, Mike lives in Canada, so... Might not happen again. That was it. That was your moment. Well, well, well. Anyway, uh, so it was good fun. Hopefully we'll do some other kind of meetup meetups again. Uh, all good fun. All good fun. Uh, on top of that, don't forget we've got uh, How to Plan the Perfect Murder and Totally Balls It Up on the 11th of August, Thursday the 11th. Link in the show notes. You can check for that. Lots of people already booked in. It's um, Don't worry about coming along and thinking, oh, I haven't got anyone to come with. Loads of people have kind of booked... Uh, single tickets or the, there's a couple of doubles there's no group bookings in there so it's one of those kind of nice events where the idea is everyone kind of it's a little bit interactive a little bit fun you don't need to interact if you don't want to uh all good fun and the great thing is there's a kind of a meet and greet afterwards so you, you can kind of meet other people and um you know uh, just t- turn up have fun it's it's a nice nice cheap price which is great uh we've got that's the london one we've done glasgow already uh paul is uh, that's his job adam did the L- glasgow one i did the london one paul hopefully is doing the uh, manchester one which he's working on now so we're going to try and get dates for that uh so that's all good what else is going on um uh, moved to a new place uh almost didn't make it because because of the heat wave and because the the water is really low so uh even though you can hear water rushing behind me, you'd you be like, oh, there's too much water there. And there is at this stretch. But just a little bit further down, there's almost no water. When you drop down between locks, sometimes there's a middle pound. And the middle pound doesn't get enough. Gets Because the lock leaks, you get water rushing out the bottom, but not enough coming in. So the pound gets really low. Water's up. Tea's up. I'm going to have my herbal tea. There we go. Oh, there we go. Having a herbal in ages. Oh, there we go. Uh, yeah, peppermint tea. Nice, nice. Always worry when I'm coming over to my laptop with the, the cup of tea that I'm going to spill it on it. Um, yeah, so it was really low. So I had to I had to navigate my boat dead centre and I could hear, even in, in the canal, you could hear, I could hear it scraping along the bottom and my engine really struggling to push to the next lock. So, uh, I know when people look at the canal and they think, oh, it must be really deep. And they used to be 10 to 16 feet deep, as they should be for the um, uh, for the industrial barges that used to come through. But uh, with all the silt that's gone in there over the years, it's kind of got... I mean, some areas it was only like meant to be about six feet deep. But over the years, all the silt has made it rise and rise. And in some areas, even dead centre, it's only like two feet deep. So if you were to jump into it, chance of you drowning in a canal is slim. Which is interesting, that will lead us to next week's episode, which is uh, one that I've been looking forward to doing ever since I read about it ages ago. Uh, so we'll find out about that. Right, let's do... Uh, have I said welcome to Extra Mile? I can't remember. Welcome to Extra Mile, the unscripted, unedited bit. If you're new to Murder Mile, this is what we do. I have a waffle, I have a cup of tea. Uh, we do some quiz questions. I fill you in on some details towards the case. Uh, and then there's that weird bit at the end where I say goodbye... And I switch off, but then it's weird because I've been talking constantly for hours, recording this episode and the extra mile bit, and then all of a sudden, absolute silence. And it's the, it's a really weird feeling when all of a sudden I it's it's weird. I feel re- I feel really lonely at that point. So talk, 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 talk. Then it's. It's even weirder with the weir behind me. It sounds like white noise on a telly. Nice to sleep too. I had a really good night's sleep last night. Uh, anyway, let's do some quiz questions. As always, don't forget I haven't edited the episode yet, so I might ball some of this up, but let's see how it goes. Right. Question number one What town was Minnie born in? 
Question number two, Frederick's father came from which country? As stated at the start of the episode, uh, at what racing test track was the 100 mile an hour land speed record in a diesel car broken? Question four, Minnie Barry was her married name, but what was her birth name? Question five, how much money did Minnie send to her daughter each week? Question six, what was the name of Minnie's daughter, mother and one of her sisters? Question seven, which seaside town was she married near? Question eight, what hotel did Minnie and Frederick first meet? Question nine, Frederick later got a job at the Hyde Park Hotel at 51 Queensborough Terrace. But which previous murder in Murder Mile happened just next door? And question 10, uh, what was Frederick's first job out of school? Oh, right. We'll come back and we'll answer those very shortly. So let's dive into some some thingamajiggies. thingamajiggies. Uh, where are we going to start with this? Where are we going to start? So, uh, yeah, lots going on by this point. Uh, I'm going to miss out all the stuff at the start because we kind of covered that fully. Let's just dive into the stuff just prior to the murder. As always, sometimes sometimes there can be too much information in and around the murder bit and it really slows down the story. So sometimes it's just best to have the, the essential stuff and then the... The other stuff we can dive into in this section. Um, as we've seen, you know, Minnie kind of regularly held, holds down jobs. Frederick has a tendency to drift in and out of jobs. Uh, which is not to say she hasn't done many jobs over the years. She does. It's just she, she's constantly good at being busy. Um, uh, as mentioned, she often described him as lazy. He, he didn't seem lazy throughout his life. It just uh, as the employment unemployment kind of kicked in. He started getting really lazy with what he was doing. She was clearly the breadwinner. She seemed to be the breadwinner with William before her other partner. Um, and as he was going through, he started obviously gambling more, gambling on horses, things like that. Um, we still don't know whether Minnie was two months pregnant at the time. This was what she told her sister. Her sister lived in Chelsea, so they were kind of regularly in contact. I think that's one of the reasons why she moved to London. Because her sister was there and it's kind of, you know, she got family there. So it all made sense. Uh, she did say prior she was unable to get rid, to rid herself of the trouble, i.e. to find a way to have an abortion. Ah, bloody mosquito flying around. And I think he's just bit, I think he's just attempted to bite my arm. But because I've been deliberately taking vitamin B1, uh, which apparently uh, burns mosquitoes feet. Uh, I don't know whether he's actually bitten me or whether I just scratched my hand. There we go. I've got a feeling that this area where I am might be a bit of a mosquito trap if everything goes really hot. Um, police uh, were looking into the motive. They said uh, that Frederick had a violent, most uncontrollable temper. It seems to. It doesn't seem to be a, a long, consistent thing. He doesn't have a criminal record. There is no history of violence there. But in that last year, when everything's kind of picking up, he seems to be... She seems to be continuing to be industrious and keeping the house running and paying the bills and the rent and trying to buy the food. And you know, he just seems to be descending and sending into loafing and squandering around. Hence, there were lots of football betting slips and horse racing and dog racing. And he's um, her money that she earned would go to pay all the bills and all that. His money that I think he got like 15 to 17 shillings a week. Uh, for unemployment benefit and also for the child, but he seems to be squandering big chunks of it on uh, gambling. What an idiot. What an idiot. Um, what else have we got? Uh, I don't want to do that. Oh, yeah, I tell you what, he did a big old statement. So we'll we do. Originally in this episode, I was going to mark, I was going to introduce you to a lot of the other people in the houses, but I changed my mind at the last minute because it slowed the episode down. Um, so their basement room was split into two. Um, in the back half of it was Mr. and Mrs. Chubb. 
Uh, they'd known Minnie for about three years. Mrs. Chubb was also employed at the same hotel as Minnie. Uh, she thought that they were married. They seemed happy together. They had some arguments, but nothing major or lasting long. Um, so, uh, as you can see, you know, uh, Minnie did try to hide the fact that she was unmarried and that her child didn't have a known father. Um, as for witnesses, you can see originally when I was reading all the details in the police file, I thought, how did the child sleep through this? But all of the neighbours didn't hear anything as well. So obviously um, Minnie and Frederick were arguing, but they were keeping it very quiet. It was early morning. They didn't want to wake up their child. They didn't want to make wake up the neighbours. So they kept they were arguing, but they kept it really quiet. So there's no major screaming, things like that. Um, Frederick seems to have uh, attacked her at kind of out of the blue from behind uh he seems to have snapped they as we'll get to in a bit they kind of fell to the floor and then he strangled her so that, so she had so possibly like with um last week's show joe maybe he strangled her to stop her screaming we don't know um that day mrs chubb who was in uh the the back room as well she was in hospital so she didn't hear anything uh mr chubb left the flat at 6 a.m so he didn't hear anything as well he was at work um louisa tunbridge and her daughter rose they lived on the first floor they'd been there for 12 years uh they got up at seven forty-five. uh so they were one uh, n not the ground floor because that was the landlord but one floor above that they heard nothing and they saw nothing until the police arrived uh, on the first floor, they that also was split into two. Herbert and Emma Harper, um, they'd lived there for nineteen years. They didn't really know the couple on the on the basement floor. Um, husband got up about eight a.m. She got up at eight thirty, and they also said that they saw and heard nothing. Uh, and there was a couple, Mister and Missus uh, Farrow, on the top floor. They'd been there for three years. Um, one week prior, Mrs. Farrow and Minnie had been talking. Minnie had said that they were struggling to make ends meet and he wasn't working. But apart from that, uh, said that they were, seemed happy together. She'd never heard them arguing. Uh, they got up at 7.30 and left for work at 8.15. So lots of people in the house in and around the time that the murder happened. But no one heard anything. And by Frederick's account... The child didn't hear anything either. The child was still asleep until he woke up the child after his mum had been murdered. Uh, and, can, and, you know, to get the child dressed, give it its breakfast and then go to the police station to admit what he'd done. Uh, I, uh, the uh, 8.50 a.m. Uh, Frederick arrived at Harrow Road Police Station with his son, Frederick Sorensen Barry. Um, it's interesting that, that obviously because she's married, she has to go by her married name but because she has a son her son even though it's not William Barry's son her son has to go by her her who she wishes was her ex-husband's name where it's, instead of her name which is one of the questions um when Frederick was walking up the steps he saw a uh, PC William Quinnell who was the the PC right who was there who first went round to the house uh, PC uh, 805 on D division X uh, Frederick said you better go to three Rundle Road I think I've done her in he'd already mentioned that uh, uh, PC said who have you done in uh, Frederick said my wife uh, Frederick said to Sergeant Emery go round uh, to Three Rundle Road in the basement. I've done her in. I've hit her on the head with a hammer and strangled her with a stocking. We had a row about me being out of work. I did it before eight o'clock this morning. Uh, he was taken to the charge room and the station officer uh, was informed. Uh, PC Quinnell went round to the address. He entered the front basement room on the right-hand side of the passage. Uh, the door to the room was slightly open and on an armchair to the left corner he noticed the form of a person who was covered in a coloured cloth. He removed it and saw the body of a woman, um, her feet near the fireplace, her head to the right side of the chair, uh, the back of which was towards the window. Uh, a black stocking tied once around her neck. She was fully dressed as if ready to go out and her hat was lying on the floor in front of the fireplace. She was dead. Um, Dr. R.J. Maybury of Elgin Avenue, which is just around the corner, he arrived. And he was called at uh, 8.50 as well, so uh, they called him from the police station. He went straight to the flat. Um, 
He said there was a single knot tied at the back of the neck. The doctor removed the stocking and confirmed life was extinct. She had a large laceration and a puncture wound three inches behind the right ear. Blood was matted into her hair. Uh, there was blood on the cushions of the chair and blood stains on the floor, small amounts. Uh, Frederick had attempted to clean up some of it, but he hadn't done a lot. Um, he said there were a few blood stains on the hat, which was on the floor, and her face was very uh, cyanized, as in kind of purpley, with a frothy fluid at the nostrils, suggesting she'd been alive a bit after she'd been hit over the head and kind of slowly passed away in the chair. Uh, it was suggested she was first stunned with a hammer blow to the head, rendering her incapable of putting much, much resistance, and was then strangled with a stocking. Uh, she had been dead roughly one hour. So, um, it's pretty. Uh, given the fact that the murder probably happened in and around eight o'clock, and he went to the police station at kind of eight fifty, uh, she'd been killed. Then he woke up the child. Then he washed and dressed the child and gave it its breakfast. And don't forget, this is a tiny room. And next to the child is his dead mum with his with her face covered in a cloth. And the father's there saying, it's all right. She's just, she's just having a little bit of a sleep. Um, oh, that was needed. Having a little bit of herbaly tea. Um, Divisional Detective Inspector Percy Worth arrived at 9.15 by that point the hammer was on the mantle police where the officers had moved it to um, and she had a distinct bruise around the neck the weapon was a claw hammer which was found in a cupboard on the right hand side of the fireplace it was blood stained uh, it had a steel head and had a wooden handle Um, around her neck was a black silk stocking which was still wet I don't think we need to know much about the room because we've already kind of covered that. Um, As mentioned, he was arrested at 11 o'clock. Divisional Detective Inspector Percy Worth arrived back at Harrow Road Police Station and arrested Frederick, saying, I've seen the dead body of Minnie Barry at 3 Rundle Road. I'm arresting you for murder by strangling with a stocking. He was cautioned and said, that's right, I came here to tell you all about it. I have nothing to keep back. I'll tell you all. Is she dead then? The officer replied, yes. Uh, Frederick replied, oh dear. He made a statement. And this is his statement. Um, I am a labourer. I've been out of work since last November. Two months ago, I did a fortnight's work for a man called Doe, a builder in Hendon. Uh, I don't know his address. A year ago, last April, I went to live in the basement room at 3 Rundle Road with Minnie Barry and my son Frederick Sorensen Barry, who is three years old. Minnie Barry was his mother. I am not married to Minnie Barry. She is the wife of William Barry, and before she left him, they lived in Lytham St Anne's near Black. You can have that as a freebie. Uh, (laughs) uh, I know he had been in prison for blackmail. I have never seen him. I left uh, she left him but I don't know the real reason I first met Minnie in Easter 1928 at the uh, in Lancaster Gate she was a staff maid there uh, I was a basement porter Porter. she had left her husband in August before our boy was born in Balham Hospital we had lived together uh, for the first time for a month at 60 Ashmore Road just off Harrow Road after that I lived at uh, 51 Queensborough Terrace Bayswater the Hyde Hotel the Hyde House Hotel uh, I left last July because of a row with the chef I had a spasm then and nearly knocked off his head uh, my page has moved I can't see where I am oh yeah, there he is uh, Minnie had been working for Lions the caterers since last Christmas week she had uh, been at several shops in the last t- two months uh, she had been at the uh, she had been at the Kilburn at the Kilburn High Road as a kitchen assistant. Because I have been out of work for so long, this has caused a lot of rows with Minnie. She told me I did not want to work anymore and asked me to go back to the Hyde House, but I told her it was not enough money. I have been on the dole and drawing seventeen shillings five pence a week. I ought to have told you we were living as man as man and wife. Of course, I am single, really. Um, 
At seven o'clock this morning, I got up and made a cup of tea. I found no butter and she started rowing with me and told me I would never get out at any decent time to get work. Uh, I went out to get some butter. I came back, gave two gave two slices of bread and gave one to her. She was sitting in the chair by the table. The boy was asleep in bed. She said something to me, but I don't know what it was as I'm rather hard of hearing. But she was nagging me about something. I was wild all morning and I saw the hammer lying on the mantel shelf. I had made a desire to do something to her uh, and I got hold of the hammer and swung it wildly at her. I hit her on the back of the head. She swung out of the chair, shouted Freddy and clawed at my face. We both fell to the floor. I put my fingers round her throat and kept pressing. I saw a boat went past and just rocked everything. Uh, I put my fingers round her throat and kept pressing. I saw a black stocking on the fire guard. I grabbed it and I and I and just slipped it around somehow or other her neck and pulled it hard. She did not speak any more to me. I let go and saw the clot of blood on the floor. I did not realize there was any blood until I saw it on the floor. I came back to my senses when I saw the blood. I put some water in a bucket and bathed her head. I tried to revive her but couldn't. I then realized I had killed her. I picked her up and put her in the bed chair, covered her with a sort of tablecloth at the bottom of the bed because um, I didn't want the boy to see her. He was still asleep in bed. After I picked her up, I wiped the blood from the floor and put the hammer in one of the cupboards. I then gave the boy a cup of tea, dressed him and went out with him straight to the police station. Minnie and me were all right together. We were both quick-tempered. It is all thought not. It is all through not having work and gambling away my dole, uh, and what little she gave me on the horses. I don't know what made me do it. I had a spasm. That's all. It's terrible. I would rather be dead than her. She was a good woman to me, uh, but we both we were both so quick-tempered. I can't tell you any more. It is the truth I've told you. So there you go. Uh, autopsy was conducted by uh, Dr. Spilsbury, as this was one of his cases as well. Uh, and the body was identified by Minnie's sister, who lived down in Chelsea. Um, uh, autopsy said that she was healthy. Death was by strangulation. Uh, although she did have a puncture wound to the head behind the right ear. Uh, the skull was cracked, but the brain was undamaged. Um, as mentioned, the trial was held at the Old Bailey. It was a one-day trial, nice and simple. Um, Dr Grierson of Brixton Prison stated that Sorensen was not insane. Uh, they called in a radiologist who performed an X-ray on Sorensen's head and found inflammation to the bone behind the ear at the base of the skull. Uh, this is believed where, he, where his original deafness and uh, problems with his uh, concentration came from. Sorensen was found guilty of murder and sentenced to death, held at Pentonville Prison. But uh, a month later, he lodged uh, an appeal was lodged, um, and uh, they uh, they decided to revise his sentence to life in prison. Uh, I think that's it. That's your lot. That's your lot. Let's do the quiz questions. Uh, yeah, let's do the quiz questions because I waffled on for a long time. Right, uh, right. Quiz questions. Here we go. Right. How many did you get right? How many did I balls up? Question number one: What town was Minnie born in? He's born in Jarrow. Question two: Frederick's father came from which country? Denmark. Question number three, as stated at the start, what racing test track was the 100 mile an hour land speed record in a diesel car broken? It was at Brooklands. Question four, Minnie Barry was her married name, but what was her birth name? It was Minnie Perkins. Question five, how much money did Minnie send to her daughter each week? It was seven shillings. Which is uh, about twenty pounds, which may not sound a lot, but that was that was uh, that was more than a quarter of a weekly wage. Uh, 
Uh, question six. What was the name of Minnie's daughter, mother, and one of her th sisters? They were all called Edith. Uh, question seven. Which seaside town was she married near? Oh, I partially balls up that one. It was Blackpool. Oh, time to yawn. Uh, question eight. Oh, it's oh, almost the end of the day. Uh, question eight. What hotel did Minnie and Frederick first meet at? It was the Rutland. Question nine. Frederick later got a job at the Hyde Park Hotel at 51 Queensborough Terrace. But which previous murder on Murder Mile happened next door? That was the, the murder of the airman, Stanley Roach. So that was just two doors down. Hey, one door down because it's all out of sequence. Uh, and finally, what was Frederick's first job when he left school? He was a rivet catcher in a shipyard. Well, there you go. That's exciting. So I hope you enjoyed that, everyone. That was... Oh, Lord. That was episode 179. Episode 179. Oh, entitled Mini. Next week, another uh, one-part episode. Uh, and it's an inter it's an interesting one. I, yeah. Looking forward to that one. Something different. So that's it. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, thank you so much for continuing to uh, listen to the podcast and to support the podcast. Um, and um, if you do enjoy it, don't forget to tell people, let them know. Right, if you can, write a nice review because that really helps get us up the charts and keeps us keeps us going. So I keep saying, "Oh, it's it's me, isn't it? It's me, me and Eva, me and Eva." Although Eva doesn't do that much, as we know, because she's always drunk or hungover, or drunk and hungover. I've never met anyone before who can be drunk and hungover at the same time. Anyway, that's me done. Hope you had a good week. Stay safe and be good. Lots of I pressed, I, I accidentally pressed off before I did my final sign off. Uh, so, lots of love. Here we go. 365 day returns.